Amen. Thank you, choir. Thank you, uh, instrumentalists, for playing for us this morning. I tell you, it's been a wild week around this place. When you put as many children around here as we had this week at Vacation Bible School and families, it was a rather wild weekend, but it was a great week as we came together to see the Lord work. And we saw several who came to faith in Christ and those who grew in Christ. And that's what it's all about, isn't it? Uh, For us to invest in our children's lives in such a way. So I'm thankful for all of you who helped this week. Again, I'm very blessed to pastor a church to have so many people who step up and say, we'll do that. We'll serve in that area. Thank you for all that you do to serve the kingdom of God. Take your Bibles this morning and turn to the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, Genesis, and turn to chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22. Some of you have found that. And I'm going to ask you to do one other thing, okay? Perhaps you have a worship order this morning, order of service. You have one of those, a bulletin or something like that. You can hand, just kind of hold up. Do I have an article in there? No, I don't. So you look at the you look at this order of worship, don't you? You don't read my article sometimes, but you've got the order of worship. I want you to take it maybe in the back of it. There's kind of some space. And maybe if you've got a pen, there's a pencil there in front of you. I want you to do something for me. I want you to write down the three most important things in your life. The three most important things in your life. Now, as far as I'm concerned, this will remain between you and God. I can't help if your wife sees what you write down, okay? But between you and God, just write down the three most important things in your life. Could be family, could be a certain individual in the family, could be a job, uh, could be your health, whatever it is. I just want you to write down the three most important things that you have in your life. If you can't write it down for some reason, you can't find a pen or pencil. I just want you to note it mentally, at least the three most important things. Some of you, it just comes very easily, doesn't it? You know exactly what you would write down. Some of you, maybe you're trying to narrow it down because there's so many things that you're blessed with, but three most important things. I want you to write that down. And then I just want you to set it aside for a moment and we'll come back to it as we look at this passage together. Genesis chapter 22, beginning in verse 1, we continue the story of Abraham. Over the last few weeks, we've seen Abram or Abraham. We've seen his high points and we've seen his low points. God has revealed him to us just as he is. He didn't try to... um, He didn't try to add any type of, of special blessing necessarily or he didn't try to... Uh, manipulate the character of Abraham so that we would think he was something that he wasn't. He is absolutely who he is. He's a human individual that has ups and downs. Genesis 22, he comes to the greatest test perhaps of his life. It culminates in this test and trial. And this is the way it's described for us beginning in verse 1. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, And he said, here I am. Then he said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains in which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, 
took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. One of the most difficult passages that you'll find in your scripture. One of the most heart-wrenching narratives that you will hear not only in the scripture, but I think throughout our world today. These opening verses of Genesis 22. The opening verses where God looks at Abraham, Abraham his friend, Abraham the one he loves, and he says to him, I want you to take your son, your only son, the son whom you love, that son named Isaac, I want you to take him and offer him as a burnt offering. Now notice in the preface of this, before the event takes place, we are told that God is testing Abraham, right? That this is the test. It is the test for Abraham. Now, Abraham had gone through all kinds of tests. I mean, we've been looking at his life over the last few Sundays, and we'll see where he was faced with famine and what was he going to do. And he chose wrongly. He went down to Egypt to somehow find the resources that he needed instead of depending upon God. He had failed that test. But then he had succeeded. Oh, yeah, remember when Abraham and Lot and their men had had controversy and Abraham had trusted God and said, Lot, you go and do what you need to do and I'll take the other path and God will be good with me. I'm just going to trust him. God had, God had worked in his life and Abraham had actually succeeded in that moment and had passed the test. But then you'll remember again, Abraham dropped the ball. He, um, he failed in choosing plan B for his life. Instead of waiting on the promised child, he decided, he decided to father a child, well, a child out of the will of God. That's what he had chosen to do. He had failed a time or two in the test, but then he succeeded. Folks, again, that reminds us of our lives, doesn't it? Because I'll tell you, I don't always pass the test the first time. I don't know about you, but I don't always pass the test. And I am thankful God gives us other opportunities. And he gives us the trust and faith as we learn through those trials, as we learn through those tests. God had brought the ultimate test to Abraham. Now, I'm not sure God, from what I see here, actually told Abraham it was a test, though. Right? How many times does God look at your life and inform you right up front, hey, you're about to have a test in your life? He doesn't always do that, does he? You find yourself in the middle of the situation, in the middle of the test, and you recognize it maybe. But God didn't say, prepare because I'm about to bring a test in your life. And not many of us go around praying for tests to be brought into our lives. Right? I will tell you that tomorrow morning, I am not getting on my knees and saying, God, would you bring a trial and test in my life today? Not doing that, especially when I'm about to go to Hungary. I'd like for the test at least to be stateside if he's going to bring it in my life. I don't do that necessarily. And God doesn't say, this is going to be a moment of testing for you. And yet, God will bring those tests to grow us, to teach us about his character, to develop our faith. And here's Abraham, who is now going through the most tremendous test 
that he has ever experienced. All these other things, they are so insignificant compared to the test that he is about to endure. God now says to him that he wants him to take his son and he wants him to offer this Isaac as a burnt sacrifice. Now, look at the description again of that God gives this young man. He says, your son, then he breaks it out to your only son, and then he says, whom you love. Even in that description, God knows that the most, one of the most important things in Abraham's life is Isaac. He recognized the unique relationship that Abraham has with Isaac. He says, it's your son, your only son, and the one that you love so dearly. Now, Abraham had another son, we know, Ishmael. But when God is speaking here, he is speaking about the promised child. Remember that Abraham had waited for so long. How old was he when when Isaac was born? A hundred years old. A hundred years old. Just the very lifespan spoke about his waiting. But you remember from the time that he was called to the time that he received the promised child... 25 years just then, 25 years that God had spoken and said, I'm going to bless you to be a nation. In other words, I'm going to give you children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. 25 years he had waited. Well, last week we talked about how they must have celebrated that day when Isaac was born. They must have truly laughed in celebration. But I bet that celebration just simply continued in Isaac's life. Now, I have seen some spoiled children in my lifetime, some of them bearing the last name Bridges. But I will tell you there is no spoiled child that ever walked the earth probably like Isaac. I mean, think about it. You had waited all that time. You're 100 years old. God God brings this child into your life. He had told you for 25 years the child was going to come and you had been looking and anticipating and and praying and then God provided that child. So can you imagine how Abraham really did love this son, the only son, the promised child? Abraham must have loved him with everything that he had. He must have loved him with his entire existence. I could see... As they lay there in the middle of the night and uh, that baby began to cry just a little bit, I could see this playing out, can't you? Abraham says, Sarah, you just, you just stay over there in the bed. You sleep. I'm going to get my boy and I'll take care of him. Now, that doesn't happen in very many households, does it? Conviction, anybody? But I bet he was willing and ready to to go and to take care of that young man. I I bet he'd say, hey, no, no, no. I want to volunteer to change the diapers of this young man. I'm going to take care. I guarantee you that he was there because he loved Isaac so much. And as he grew, even when he was weaned, the scripture said that, that they threw a great celebration, a great party. Every time there was a moment to celebrate Isaac, They celebrated Isaac. They loved him. He was the promised one from God. And not only loving him for 
being the son and the re- that relationship that they had with him, I-, I think they saw the hope of God in him as well. Now think of this. For what God had said to Abraham was that he was going to bring a great nation from him. And within Isaac, the promised child, well, within him would lie the very hope of that nation. So it had even greater meaning than we could ever understand. Do you see why there's a test? Why this is the ultimate one? That Abraham is asked to give up. That which means the most to him in life. Well, Warren Wiersbe says that none of us are really tested until the Lord, well, until he asks us to bear what seems to be unbearable and to do what seems to be unreasonable and to expect what seems to be impossible. Wiersbe says that's the only way we truly experience tests and trials until God actually asks us to, to try to bear those things that seem to be unbearable, things that we can never imagine ourselves experiencing, or to do those things, to do those things that just seem unreasonable. God, I can't believe you would ask me to do a certain thing. Or to expect God to do what you would think to be impossible. That's the true test. And that's the reason I say to you, this is the ultimate test of God. Because God is calling him to give up his very heart and his life and his existence and the hope that he has of a future. God is calling him to give it all up. And the response? Trust. Faith. This is tremendous to me. Maybe it is because I lack this much faith or lack this much trust in my life. And I know how I'm still growing in these areas. But it just simply amazes me to see the response of Abraham. Verse 3 it says, So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Trust. Faith. What does it say that Abraham does? It says that he hears God and the very next morning he gets up early. He begins to make all the preparation that needs to be made and he starts on the journey. That's faith. It reminds you some of... uh, the call back in Genesis chapter 12. Remember when God had spoken to Abraham and told him to leave the country that he had known and go to a country that he would just show him, a country that he would lead him to? And it says that after God spoke in that promise, well, it says Abraham just departed, just simply departed. Obedience and faith. I'm amazed by this. I am absolutely amazed that somebody could respond with such faith and such trust. Okay, so here would be my response. What, God? God, you, you want me to do what? Now, God, I think you need to kind of look at your plan again and 
I need to talk to you about your character again and how you would never ask me to do something like, God, would you... I could hear myself reasoning with God. I could hear myself. I could at least hear myself delaying the process. It says that he got up early in the morning. My friends, I don't like to get up early in the morning for anything. But he got up early in the morning. I think I would have had to hit the alarm clock, hit the snooze button a few times. I think I'd had to tell God I had to pray about it first. I think I would have done anything and everything that I could to stall the process. If I couldn't talk God out of it, at least maybe I could stall the process. Abraham, it says, he rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey. He made all the preparation of the wood. He did everything he needed to do for the sacrifice. Trust and obedience. Immediate obedience, full obedience. He continued on his journey. Notice it says in verse 4, Then on the third day Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship and we will come back to you. Back to that in a few moments. Verse 6. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife and two of them went together. Notice he is coming to fulfill what God asked him to do. Not only was it immediate obedience, but it was continuing obedience. It was full obedience. God, if this is what you want, this is what I will do. Verse 7, but Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. And then he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Now get this. Isaac says, Now, Daddy... You said we were coming up to offer a burnt offering. And we've got the wood and we've got the things for the fire. We've got everything else we need, Daddy. But where's the lamb? I mean, if we're going to make a sacrifice, where is the lamb? Of course, Abraham responds, God will provide. Faith. Trust. I mean, this is faithful obedience. He says, God's going to provide. God's going to take care of us. Whatever happens, we're going to see that in a moment as well. But he says, whatever happens, God is going to provide. Now, when I was younger in the church, I used to envision Isaac of, of being a, a really a, a child, I mean a young child. But the more that I've studied the passage and the more that I've looked at the context, I'm convinced that that Isaac probably was at least a teenager. He was probably at least a young adolescent, young man. It says that he carried the wood. It says that he went up with his dad. Now to me, as I understand it that way, and as I see it in the scripture, that even speaks in a greater way to not only Abraham's faith, but Isaac's faith. Right? Because here's Isaac, the young 
teenager or so, let's say he's 15 years old, and he's out there with his dad. And his dad is 115 years old, right? 115 years old. So Isaac, he begins to put things together mentally. He knows something's happening. And obviously, even as we read through the narrative, it says that he will be bound, Isaac will be, Think about the surrender and submission of Isaac to his father and the faith that he has not only in God, but the faith he has in his dad being led by God. Because in most cases, a 15-year-old probably could, well, he could overpower a 115-year-old, right? If he really didn't want to be bound, if he really didn't want to go up that mountain, well, he probably could have... He could have resisted somewhat, but it said he didn't. Actually, it shows us that he goes up with Abraham, and he is bound. Now, Father's Day is next week. I'm not with you, so I've got to give you a Father's Day message. Oh, man, y'all hadn't left me enough time. Do two messages at once, so let me just give you this one. Dads, this ought to speak to all of us. That our sons would trust us to follow God in such a way that they would be able to follow us. That they would have that same type of faith. That they wouldn't even question whether or not we were following God. Because it was such a part of our existence and life. See, he had faith, Abraham did. He trusted and he was faithful in, in his obedience. And it says in verse 9, they came to the place which God had told him. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. This idea that this place that becomes associated with Mount Moriah, where Solomon will build his temple according to tradition, where sacrifices will be made later in the life of Israel. They lay him upon the altar. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Notice the full intent Notice the full obedience. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here I am. Now, first, some people would say, how in the world could God ask such things? Why would God do such a thing in Abraham's life and, and ask him to do something that seems so repulsive to all of us and should be so repulsive to the people of God? Well, first of all, understand God knew what was happening, okay? God knew what he was going to do. God was, was willing to go through this, but he knew that, he would, that Abraham would pass the test. He knew that. God was building the faith of Abraham and how he built it. I mean, even to this full, full moment, I mean, some of you look and you think, how did Abraham, how did he carry this out or how was he willing to do this well we have a little more insight into the mind of abraham found in hebrews 11 in hebrews 11 verse 17 it says by faith that means trust means belief abraham when he was tested offered up isaac and he and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son of whom it is said in isaac your seed shall be called concluding that get this concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which also he received him in a figurative sense. 
Why was Abraham willing to do this? Because get this. Abraham knew God said Isaac was going to be the promised child. Truth. He said, I believe that. Isaac is going to be the promised child. He is going to be the line which the nation will come from. And Abraham believed that. So Abraham believed that if God were to allow him to go through with this and Isaac to experience death, then Abraham believed that God would have to resurrect him. That God would have to resurrect him. That God would have to bring him back in order to fulfill his promise. Because God will keep his word. And God said this would happen. And if God said this would happen, then God's going to make it happen. Man, that's faith, isn't it? Now think of it again. The book of Genesis, you don't have this resurrection theme. I mean, it's not like you're on uh, this side of the resurrection of Christ. He was before even some of the thoughts of the resurrection. And yet he still believed that God would keep his word. And if God would keep his word, then he must be faithful to what God has said. To me, as I read through the Hebrews 11 passage, and as I connect it with Genesis 22, I see one of the greatest statements of faith here. You'll see it in all of Scripture. That Abraham believed. And that he trusted fully that God was going to keep his word. And when you trust God fully, then you can give up anything and everything out of your life. I want you to maybe look back just a moment to your list. If you made one or maybe again in mentally. Some of you know exactly what's on there. I want to ask you this morning. If God were to come to you and he would say, I want you to give those things up. Would you be willing to do it? That's a hard question, isn't it? It's a difficult question. If God said to you today, I want you to give that individual. I want you to give that job. I want you to give... I want you to give that up. Would you have the trust and the faith to say, God, here you go. And God, it may be painful. And God, it may be difficult. But God, I give that up to you. Some of you parents... Grandparents, for example, are you willing to put your grandchildren, your tr children right before God and say, God, here they are. And God, I'm giving them to you and whatever you decide to do with them and however you want to use them, God, you do that. Now, let me say to you, it will be very difficult when they surrender perhaps to a mission field that it's in a hostile region, hostile to the gospel. It's hard when maybe they decide to, to move six or 12 hours away from you. It's difficult to experience some of the things that God would ask us to do or ask our children or grandchildren to do. But my friends, God has called us to respond in faith and in trust. Be willing to give up. Because get this, get this, get this. 
He is willing to give up everything for us. He's already demonstrated that through the Lord Jesus. Look at, look at the rest of this passage. This is where you got to have some joy in your heart. I know it's kind of tough reading through those first verses, but verse 12, God says, the angel of the Lord says, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horn. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. So God speaks out of heaven right at that exact moment. I mean, the narrative had built for you. You were concerned. If you'd never read this before, you were probably on pins and needles thinking to yourself, will the promised child die? And yet at the height of the drama, God spoke and he said, don't lay a hand on the boy. Now I know. Now friends, again, did God know what was going to happen? Did God know the future? Absolutely. When I was in seminary, I shared this a few weeks ago. When I was in seminary, there was a group of individuals coming up in other seminaries and other denominations. And they were embracing this doctrine, this theology that God does know all things, but he only knows those things that are knowable. Don't you love theologians? He only knows those things are knowable. And the future is not knowable, so thus God doesn't know the future. And that's what they were teaching, what they were preaching in certain denominational seminaries across our country. And they would use this passage as their primary text to espouse their heresy. My friends, this does not teach us that God did not know. It teaches us that God did know. How do, where do I draw that from? Isn't it amazing that God had the ram right there? God knew. Well, but he put that there just in case. No, no, no. God knew. He put the ram there as the substitutionary atonement, the death that would take place. He knew. I'll tell you another way I believe in you. Because it says in verse 14 that Abraham called the name of the place. The Lord will provide. Some of your passages, some of your Bibles may say Jehovah Jireh. It's a compound name of God. In the Hebrew, it is Yahweh Yireh. Literally, it means God will see or God will see to it. And that's always connected with the idea of providing a provision. Even our English word well, provision comes from the Latin compound, which means to see before. In other words, God could see before. And before Abraham had climbed that mountain, before he, he had even challenged him to the test, God knew what he was going to do. And God placed a realm right there so that there would be a sacrifice because God does provide. He is... Jehovah Jireh, he is Yahweh Yiri, he is the God who provides. I said to you a moment ago, 
that for us on this side of the cross, we know he provides. We just celebrated Lord's Supper a moment ago, his provision. And get this. God did not hold his best back from us. But he gave us his best when he gave us his son. Jesus Christ, the perfect lamb of God. So you see parallels, if you will, between both the son and the ram. Notice the language, your son, your only son. Later on, that will be the language of the New Testament to speak about the son, the only son that had come on our behalf. And in many ways, he reflects the ram because the ram becomes the substitute for Isaac. May we never forget in this place today, may we never forget that every one of us, every one of us, deserve death because of our sin. Every one of us deserved eternal death. And yet, Jesus died for us. Jesus died for us. And he experienced the cross and he experienced the things that were meant for us. And he became the substitute, the lamb that died on our behalf. Well, I'll tell you that many of us, we should gather here this morning. We should find ourselves at the altar. We should find ourselves praising and worshiping God because we have known him personally as the Jehovah Jireh, the one who's provided for our lives, provided opportunities, provided salvation that we could not have provided on our own, provided for us exactly what we needed through the blood and the work of Christ. Today, my friends, I say to you again, what would you give up? What would you, what would you be willing to give up to God? But more importantly, I say to you, think about what he's given up for you. Think about what he has done. And then... I pray you would join my, your heart with mine and your voice with mine as we simply say, thank God for the sacrifice. Thank God that he has provided for us exactly what was needed. Today, if you haven't accepted him as your Lord and Savior, my friend, come. Give your heart to him. Trust him. You can believe him. You can trust him to take care of all of your life, spiritually and physically. He can take care of you today. Come to him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the ordinance of the Lord's Supper that impresses upon us the sacrifice, the body which was broken, the blood which was shed. God, thank you for taking this image, this narrative of Genesis 22. And Lord, bringing home to us once again that sacrifice, the substitution that was made on our behalf. God, we pray that you would help us respond today. Father, there are some here who need to accept you as their Lord and Savior. Lord, I pray that you would just allow them to come in, in that faith and that 
courage this morning. Father, for some of us who've been saved, but Lord, we just, just to be frank, we need to get on our knees once again and say thank you. God, speak to us and give us the liberty and the freedom to express our worship and our gratitude to you. In Jesus' name, amen.